American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. So now I'm obsessed with time. Come on, tell me about the time. Had it all in my head tonight. Had the time of my life. When the words all come down, like blues on Tuesdays come down. Throw it all away. Throw it all away. Welcome to another episode of. American, American Timelines. Time I'm Amy, and that's Joe. Yes, and we are going to continue. We're almost done with 1951. Woo-hoo. We're, we've got all the way to November. We're just trudging through very slowly, and we're glad you're you're back with us, Time Heads. We have a very <laughs> special guest this week. I'm very excited to finally get Taylor on our show. Um, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I met this. Well, we'll talk about it. I'll just introduce her, and then we'll talk about where I met her. Okay. Um, from the the creator and director of the Forward Podcast. Please welcome Taylor Frazier. Hi, Taylor. Hey, good to see you, Joe and Amy. Thanks Hello. for having me. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Thanks for being here. So the Forward Podcast, that's how you call it, right? It's not just Forward Podcast. It's the Forward Podcast, right? Yep, that's right. And it's spelled funny. So for anybody in your yeah. audience who wants to look it up, F-O-R-E-W-A-R-D, yes. the Forward Podcast. Okay. And I will warn you, you won't be able to stop listening, so set aside some time. I mean, this is up there with cereal and things like that. So, And it's also very uh, emotionally challenging. Like, it's traumatic. And so... I almost wonder if I almost wonder if you need a like a, and you you give a warning at the beginning of each episode is that there is violence and if you have uh, PTSD or any if if you have triggers from violence now we're living in a world and especially our country where I don't know what the percentage of people that have lived now through a mass shooting but it chronicles uh, a school shooting in Blue River Colorado and Taylor you actually this is based on your true life right. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So um, for many years now, I've been wanting to make a podcast about the story of the school shooting that I survived when I was 14 years old. Oh my gosh. And the, yeah, so the pandemic kind of provided me a perfect opportunity to have the time and energy to to go ahead and do it. So I I wrote the script, um, which is over 300 pages in a week. Oh my and then gosh. I hired That's awesome. 60, yeah, yeah, I hired, oh no, not even, it was 70, I hired 70 actors and we recorded them one at a time to yeah. to perform the yeah. story of, of what happened and the aftermath and, and how people coped in my community. Yeah. Um, oh my yeah, so it was a super intense process, uh, but uh, it turned out to be a um, I think a really powerful podcast and it's an audio drama. So it might remind you of like watching a television show, just not being able to see the screen. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit different than your average podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely different. And I would have never thought I would enjoy something like that. No offense to you, but I like, that's not the kind of podcast I listen to. I, I rarely even, I've given up even listening to uh, nonfiction anymore. Like I'm just immersing myself in goofy shit. Um, no, uh, I, I get that. And yeah. really, I hadn't even really heard of an audio drama before I made yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. I'm a huge a fan of podcasts, but I kept kind of writing and rewriting in my head trying to figure out how to tell this story. Yeah. And I thought, you know, you could just kind of describe what happened, but that didn't seem super compelling. And so then I was like, how is it interviews? Is it what is it supposed to be? And then I finally realized, like, no, it's a... It's a television show. I just don't have the resources to make my own television show by myself. But there is a genre Mm -hmm. of audio. It's a radio play is what it is. And uh, it ended up being a really (laughs) perfect medium to create what I was, the story I was trying to tell. That's exactly it. So that's what I was going to ask you. I'm glad you said that because you you, you covered a couple of questions because I've been thinking the same thing. Like I have friends that want to write a film or a TV screen, but none of us have resources. We don't have a lot of money we don't have a way to get it filmed a lot of times and so i've kind of mentioned to them hey you got to listen to this forward podcast like it got right away at the beginning when you were still developing some of the characters and hadn't got really like into the shooting yet i was just like oh my gosh these actors are good this is 
this is well done. I can, and the sound that you've done is so well. Like, I feel like I'm in a movie kind of thing, like that I take with oh, me throughout yeah. my house. Like, I listen to it while I'm in the shower, and then I take the movie with me in the car. Um, but it was that so was good. That's so funny. A lot of people have told me that they like, they <laughs> listen while they're like cleaning or while they're taking <laughs> yeah. a shower or whatever. Yeah. And it's kind of a weird and cool medium because I don't think as adults we have very many opportunities to like imagine a world like maybe if you're reading a book maybe but otherwise yeah. I yeah. don't as an adult like yeah. play pretend and go I think this place looks like this and this person looks like that and so it's kind mm-hmm. of cool to listen to this story unfold and you have to invent every aspect yeah. <laughs> of this world yeah. uh, as you're listening and everybody has different ideas in their head as to like this character probably looks like this or or the school looks like this or yeah. it's kind of cool that like everyone has their own thing they've dreamt up in their head and there's so much mm-hmm. sound design I had uh, a couple editors who were really talented who helped me put it together and it was neat the things that they would add like the sounds of slamming lockers well mm-hmm. in real life there weren't lockers at my high school yeah. But I love the way it sounded, and yeah. I love that as they listened to the production, they're like, in their mind, there were lockers. So yeah. now there's lockers. So it mm-hmm. it became this cool hybrid of what was in my imagination, mm-hmm. what was in my editor's imagination, mm-hmm. how the actors interpreted the characters, which were different than the real people. Yeah. And it, it turned into this really cool, magical thing for me. Yes, and so... Um, I nah, now I can't remember what we said before we started recording and not now. But so you, this is a traumatic event that happened in your life. I mean, my thing was, I couldn't wait anymore because you hadn't gotten to the shooter yet until I mean, I don't. Know if I, I'm going to say this by episode three is what he shows up. But before that, I was like, I knew it was a true story, so I went ahead and Googled it. I was like, Blue River. What? Who was this guy? What happened? I'm like, what am I in for? Because <laughs> I can't. Mm-hmm. I'm not somebody who like. You can spoil everything for me. I I need. I'm at a point in my life where I need, <laughs> need to know. I need to know what I'm getting into. Yeah, like, is totally. it gonna be? Don't want the suspense. Yes, and 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 Amy and I do true crime stuff all the time, and so uh, the, I I don't like hearing about rape. So if I can brace myself for it, it's good. So yours has that, unfortunately, but uh, but that and that's so why I had to look ahead. And I was like, oh my gosh, what. What has Taylor been through? Like, especially when I was emailing with you trying to schedule you, I was like, is this, does this poor girl, like, did she get shot herself or where was she? And so then I've kind of since seen, but so can I talk about what this, this guy did? I mean, can we talk, or is that giving away too much? Yeah, yeah, you're, you're welcome to. And, and I guess just to provide context, um, what happened that day is that, uh, a man wandered into the school. Uh, he was a homeless man. He was suffering from bipolar one, which meant he was having hallucinations. He didn't know what was real and what wasn't. Um, and essentially he went into a classroom and took a group of young women hostage and that's when we went into lockdown and I was not in that room I was a couple classrooms down so part of the story that I'm trying to tell is that obviously what happened in that room is horrible and something that like is is noteworthy and something that we should feel sad about but it also affects such a larger group of people than what people realize Mm -hmm. that if you were in the next classroom down it affected you uh, if you yeah. were in the next building over, it affected you. Yeah. If you are the mother of somebody in that building, it affected you. If you are the father, if you are the coach, if you are the Cub Scout leader, if you are the boss, yeah. it affected you. Yeah. You yeah. know, and it's one of those things people don't realize that it's like this huge ripple effect. Mm-hmm. And the whole community overnight had PTSD and was suffering from trauma that they're probably still dealing with today. And wow. so, just yeah. putting that out there, if people are confused as to like what what my role was in that situation, like I was there, but I was yeah. um, a few rooms removed, and mm-hmm. still it impacted me in a really profound of course. way. Of well, course, and, and, it would. And, yeah, and you cover like, and I love that you're covering this because most people, it seems like most stories and most shows and stuff cover the actual people, and that's it. And and this mm-hmm. is a good thing because. Nobody talks about all this stuff. It's just over. Right. When it's over, it's just over, and that's it. And so, uh, it's it. It makes me even more mad at Marjorie Taylor Greene. You know, yeah, how she harassed though those poor Parkland, the Parkland survivors. survivors. Oh, yes. yeah. yeah, yes. It's just so maddening that is. But what I'm fascinated by is the couple days at, or the days afterwards when everybody's returning to school, and then the memorial service, like. 
I mean, I couldn't believe they were saying this is like a, a circus. Like people are treating it like it's a carnival. There's like bands playing and like people passing out those stuffed bears. And you guys are like, what is this? You know, what? You know, <laughs> what is all bizarre. this? Bizarre. Yeah. And it's a tricky thing because like I feel like how it was handled in the aftermath wasn't good. Yeah. I don't yeah. know how it should have been handled because there's no right way to deal with a horrible shooting that's affected all of these teenagers and like it's just awful you know right. there's no how many there's no i don't know what the magical solution would have been yeah yeah but it was bad yeah. <laughs> it was not handled well in my no. opinion yeah and you could see that come through and i felt the same thing i was like well i don't know what's right i don't know what is the good thing and you clearly put that across it was like you didn't either like I, I don't know what i want but i don't want this you know like right so exactly. it's just like and, exactly. and people's behavior is weird like there were some people joking like right away it was like how can you joke about this it just happened to us all you know and it's just like but you know people did that because mm-hmm. people are people how many people died yeah. um the shooter killed himself and one other person oh yeah, that's awful. So my wife is a teacher. Amy's a teacher. Um, so mm. she goes through all that training all the time too. She's had to watch the Columbine video, like the actual footage uh, and all that. So with um, audio, that's... with the audio, yeah, yep. which is uh, because it um, because it was a nine one one call that one of the students had made in the library, and then they they got shot and killed. But the nine one one call stayed on and recorded all the audio. And then we wow, we saw the vi- the whole video of all the different pl- areas, and at the end, the we watched them shoot themselves. I mean, it, oh, it, it was like you couldn't even hear yeah. a pin drop in that room. It was just a bunch of teachers, and we were all just staring there, like, "Why are we watching? Like, this is because that's cause awful. that could cause PTSD." I feel yes. like just see absolutely. It, you know? it was interesting. I was interviewed recently on um, another podcast that was hosted by two young women who are like, I think they were sixteen and seventeen, mm-hmm. and they have been raised with school shooting drills their oh, whole lives. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, I'm like, that has got to be extremely traumatic to do that every day. But yeah. they don't think of it that way. They're just like, this is just part of what you do, which is yeah. even more disturbing to me that it's become so ingrained in our culture Uh I was having a conversation with some of my friends who are teachers Mm -hmm. and one of them told me that now it's not uncommon to put litter boxes under the teacher's desk in case of a lockdown situation Uh. and the teachers were going well that's awfully practical and I'm like the fact that you think of it that way should disturb you Mm -hmm. so deeply because we should not have litter boxes in classrooms for children in case they get shot Oh yeah. my like god! Like that's that is insane. That is insane. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. Wow. Oh my like god! I can't even imagine what it feels like to be a teacher today. Yeah, it is. It's stressful. Well, how many shootings are there a day now? Like, there's just yeah, they're quite in the, the news. pandemic's lifting and the shootings are yeah. starting again. It's just crazy. and I knew that would happen. And yeah. it's we like that. I I released the podcast on uh, New Year's Day, oh. and it was kind of strange timing because for the only time since 2006 that there hasn't been regularly occurring shootings was when I released my podcast, (laughs) which in some ways seems like maybe not smart timing. And at the same time, it's like, this is so horribly disturbing, but I knew as soon as schools reopen, this will start happening again because we have done nothing to correct the problem. So why on earth would it change? I mean, that's just a fair assumption to make. Mm -hmm. And as I suspected, it's, it's starting ha- happening again. There's been over a hundred mass shooting incidents just in this year. Yeah, just in twenty twenty one. Forty three or something. Uh, yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. And, and what was the other statistic? You were saying that there was only been. Oh, there there was only eighteen um, days days last year that a police officer didn't murder um, a person. A per someone <laughs> didn't kill Whoa. someone. Whoa! Yeah. Only eighteen days. In that's terrifying. Yeah. I know. What is going on with our country? It's <laughs> just that's awful. It's just insane. It's just like a normal thing. I we were talking. We have some Scottish guests that come on periodically, and they 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 just assume we all just walk around with guns on our belts. Like it's just mm-hmm. like wild wild west. It's like don't you all have guns? I'm like no, we don't. I don't know. So it's it's kind of <laughs> yeah. It's such a weird thing. Anyway, so the forward yeah. podcast you got to listen to it. It is very gripping and good if you can handle it. 
Um, but it is, yeah, I can't, I'm so, it's amazing that you did that. We met, Taylor and I met during the Charlotte Podcast Festival, shameless plug, which we'll do again this year, which was just a local thing here in Charlotte, North Carolina, we thought. Um, and yeah, we had like 3,000 people show up or something like it that. It was awesome. We, we ended up with 15,000. Um, what? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot more than I even knew. It got, it, yeah, I think when we were there Bravo. that night, we, yeah, it just got, so we didn't expect that and we weren't planning on it being like that, but because of the pandemic, I guess so many people had nothing else to do and they're looking for podcast festivals. A lot of people were starting podcasts like you, you have the time. Yeah, why you not? Can, you can do this now uh, across, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, the internet in the world. So, uh, yeah, I, th- I think there was people from Belgium and uh, all over the, you know, all Poland and everywhere. And you yourself are in Colorado. So, um, yes, mm-hmm. I was so glad. Of, and then we did these mixers, which was cool. On Friday nights, we do these happy hours. And it's just a bunch of podcast nerds in a room, and you get randomly shuffled into a smaller room. And so, almost everybody I talk to at those yeah. is like, I want to reach out and find out how where they're at because everybody's in different. Uh, you know, uh, steps of their podcast making and podcasters mm-hmm. are some kind of weird thing we have. Like we just like relate to each other or something, you know, it's kind of a weird thing. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. And now you're a podcaster. You were a filmmaker then now you're a podcaster. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I'm, do you, I've done it. <laughs> do you have a second podcast in mind? Or are you going to j- just make the TV film now? The film um, I have many seasons of forward kind of oh. um, plotted out in my head. Okay. So I think that that'll be the next step of uh, making more seasons of the podcast. And then okay. in the meantime, if I can get it purchased by a television network, that would yeah. be great. Yes. So, you know, we'll just fingers crossed on that. Well, and then you might, that I mean, I feel awesome. like, I feel like you could set the blueprint for other podcasters on how to do that. You know, how to mm-hmm. like, you know, you create, it, it'd be like your pilot is a podcast and then you make a film out of it or a, a, exactly. a TV show. That's so cool. Also, I didn't realize you, the podcast is going to keep going in all those seasons. I know you're going to follow 15 years on the script, in the scripts, but you're going to do that in the podcast as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's the hope. Oh, so <laughs> that's right cool. now just trying yeah. to figure out, uh, yeah, <laughs> when and how it's all going to go down. But yes, yeah, that's I, yeah that's, I know that's a lot of stuff to put on your shoulders, like just give me more, you know, but it's, yeah, yeah it's real. It's real. I'm working yeah. on it. It's really good. It's so good. I'm so, yeah, it's so exciting. And so kudos thank to you. And you. then thank you also for being here. So yes. we're going to jump in. Taylor, you're ready to jump into November of 1951. Well, yeah, of course. Into our little mm-hmm. goofy time capsule here. So we are going to start at the beginning of the month. Uh, when, uh, on the 1st of November, jet magazine was founded by okay. Je- John H. Johnson. I remember Jet Magazine. You remember Jet Magazine? Do you remember that, Taylor? I don't know. Is that even around anymore? I no. Yeah, yeah. I think you're <laughs> was a little Eb- Ebony <laughs> Magazine and Jet Magazine. Yeah, it was around for a while. I, it might still be around. I don't know, but ni- I didn't know it was started in 1951. Yeah, it seems that's like pretty a, old. A new one. Um, so I don't have anything else about it except it started uh, November, but November fourth. So I often, I'll tell Taylor, I'll tell you. I often fall into, as you probably imagine, doing research for this, I end up falling down rabbit holes on the internet, and Wikipedia oh, particularly, yeah. yeah. So you could see you probably did a little something. It's it's like you find one nugget of information, and you're like, well, i got to know more about this person. And then you, you're reading into their bio, and they have some event that happened, and then you're pretty soon you're not even on the event anymore. And this is a thing that I'm, you guys are – Amy is going to hate because it's sports-related. <laughs> um, but – and I'm also obsessed with teams that are defunct now and where they came from or where they went. So on November 4th was a Sunday. The New York Giants were playing football against the New York Yanks, and they scored back-to-back touchdowns on kickoff returns. Are you a sports person, Taylor? Not really, but I will try to follow. <laughs> I know. That's how I'm like, all right, I'll try so, to follow along. So I'll make it brief. I'll make it as brief as I can, though. So there's no... I've never known there was a football team called the New York Yanks. Okay, okay. so we know there's the so baseball. There's, there's the baseball Yankees. As far as I know, and I feel like I know quite a bit about football. Like I'm a pretty good football fan. I know a lot of historical teams. There was a team called the New York Yanks. So I had to find out what happened to the New York Yanks and where they come from. So the team began. I'm going to just tell all the nerds that care about this. In 1944, they were originally the Boston Yanks. Okay. And they were owned by Kate Smith's manager, Ted Collins. And then this is where the 
the rabbit hole begins. Do you guys know who Kate Smith is? Famous radio actress? It sounds... I think I've heard the name before. So Kate I Smith. often will come across a name and I'll be like, oh, why don't I know this person? I looked her up and it's like she's she was known as the first lady of radio, um, one of the most famous radio actresses of all time. So I always feel like, oh, why don't I? Oh, I'm the only person who doesn't know this person. So I'm just going to bone up. So that I can mm-hmm. be smart in the in the I can fit in the conversation that you guys will go on, but you guys clearly don't know who this is. No. But so I looked up Kate Smith a little bit. So her manager is the one that started the team, but she was known as the Songbird of the South. She was an American soprano, well known for her rendition of Irving Berlin's "God Bless America." She had a radio, television, and recording career spanning five decades, which reached its pinnacle in the forties. Uh, but mm. so she. Her song was played at the seventh inning stretch, a recording of her singing uh, God Bless America at Yankees home games uh, from 2009 all the way till 2019. But they had to discontinue it in 2019 because of some controversy. She was canceled. This 40s radio Mm -hmm. singer was canceled in 2019 uh, because some recordings of her singing in 1931 uh, were uncovered, of her singing a song called That's Why Darkies Were Born. Oh, boy. And Piccaninny oh. Heaven. Yes. <laughs> oh, oh so, no. Yeah, the Philadelphia Flyers also were playing her her rendition, and they had to stop as well because yep. of that. So <laughs> I'm kind of glad they figured that out because that's not great. Well, yeah, it's not. But then, you know, so the people that defended her was like, hey, Paul Robeson, who's a famous African-American singer, sang that as well. And one of the people who wrote that song was Fanny Hurst, who mm-hmm. was a well-known advocate for African-American equality. And then apparently this Nancy Smith spoke out about racial equality back in 1945. So it's kind of like she wasn't racist. Yeah, doesn't matter. That's not okay. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. back to her manager who owned the Boston Yanks. He was trying to get the team in New York originally, but the Giants would not share the stadium at the time. So he had a start in Boston. Um, and then in 1949, the NFL granted him a new team. He called the New York Bulldogs because he still had the Boston Yanks. Um, so he couldn't use the same name. And that team was terrible. So terrible, nobody came and they had to fold. So uh, he then renamed them the New York Yanks. And then he moved to Yankee Stadium in 1950. So that's where they came. And then, of course, I'm also obsessed with what happened to them. So a group of Dallas businessmen bought that team that no longer exists and moved them to Dallas. And they were the Dallas Yanks? Nope, they changed their name to the Dallas Texans. Well, that, that's good. And they're not the Cowboys that now exist mm-hmm. because later uh, a team from Baltimore bought them. and They went to Baltimore and became the Colts, who are now the Indianapolis Colts. And now I'll stop talking about it because I've lost both of you just going on about this whole thing. Uh, so all that to say, there was a team called the New York Yanks in football. And now some of you know that who didn't know before. And that's the rest of the story. And that's the bottom line because Stone Cold said so. That's right. Yeah, so Amy's thing happened November 6th. Okay, I am going to kind of talk about something this t- today and next week, and okay. they're connected. All right, so do we need to force Taylor to come back and kick our other guest off? <laughs> no, we won't put her through the torture more than once. Yeah, yeah, she's going to never. She'll no, never. bring me back, and then the, uh, the new person will be like, why is she here? It'll be <laughs> right. really awkward. What's she doing here? I don't understand. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'm going to talk about the Groveland Four. The Groveland Four. And I got my source is psmag.com, an article by Gilbert King. Okay. And of course, it's fabulous Wikipedia. Yeah, Wikipedia is always there, but which has a bunch of sources that we should probably start naming. Okay. 60 years before George Zimmerman fired his single shot in Sanford, the people of Central Florida lived through one of the most suspicious claims of self-defense in American history. The incident on November 6, 1951, prompted outrage and protest across the country, as well as from the podium at the United Nations, where the Soviet foreign minister Andrei Vashinsky held up a newspaper with headlines and gruesome photos of two black men who had been shot by a Florida sheriff. As he said, this is what human rights means in the United States. This is the American way of life. 
which it's the so, sheriff said that. No, this Russian guy. Oh, keep up, babe. I'm confused. Okay, I think I missed something. Okay, so eight months earlier, Thurgood Marshall, you know who that is? Yes. And lawyers from the NAACP's Legal Defense and Education Fund had been able to convince the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn a Florida court verdict that had sentenced to death two of three young black men between the ages of 16 and 22, known as the Groveland Boys, in the alleged rape of a white 17-year-old farm girl that whipped up a frenzy of mob violence against local African-American community. Yeah. Gosh. Okay. And so... So it's like always... that. It seems like it's always that... It's this birth of a nation type stereotype of this, mm-hmm. you know, demonizing these black people want to rape the white women. And I can already tell you, she probably wasn't even raped. Right. You know? There was no evidence. Yeah. Of it. Yeah. Right. Um, it was widely thought that the ac- accusations were trumped up in order to rid Lake County of a handful of quote unquote uppity blacks who were uh. not despondent um, on on day work in the citrus groves. Um the Groveland case, if up to the Florida justice system of the time, would have ended with a quick and quiet executions of the convicted black youths, and then it would have disappeared, as it did so many cap- capital cases in the Jim Crow South. But unlike Trayvon Martin's shooting in late February 2012, something extraordinary occurred in Lake County, Florida, on the rainy night November 1951. Like a Shakespearean ghost, a young man presumed to be dead rose from a ditch to tell the tale of murder. What? So after the Supreme Court's decision to overturn the verdict, yeah. Lake County Sheriff Willis McCall volunteered to transport the two young defendants. Okay. Okay. Samuel Shepard and Walter Urban were, the, were, were their names. And he was going to take them from Florida State Prison back to court for retrial. Uh, and it should be known that McCall, the sheriff, yeah. was revolted by the high court decision. So the two young men didn't make it back to town, the town of Tavares, Florida. I think it's, I don't know, T-A-V-A-R-E-S. I don't know. I don't know. Um, Tavares? I don't know. Something. Anyway, they didn't make it back. Okay. McCall turned down a dark clay road where he claimed the two handcuffed prisoners jumped him in an attempted escape. And in self-defense, he insisted he'd been forced to shoot them both. Ah, so he just executed him. Samuel Shepard was killed instantly. Cuffed to his now-dead best friend, Walter Irvin took two gunshot wounds to the chest and collapsed beside Shepard. But Irvin's evening of horror wasn't over yet. Summoned to the scene by Sheriff McCall was Deputy James Yates. He arrived, shined his flashlight down on Irvin. He said, this N-word is not dead. And then he fired what was supposed to be the coup de gras a 38 caliber bullet straight through his neck but Ugh. he survived what mm, that's how he knows what this was what happened oh while he lay on the <laughs> yeah while he lay on the roadside mccall and yates moved into the glare of the sheriff's oldsmobile headlights they ripped at mccall's clothes rumpled his stetson and struck a blow to his head that produced a, a trickle of blood Thus, the two men concocted and substantiated their story of an attempted escape. Right. They're hitting themselves afterwards. Then they summoned witnesses to the scene. But it wasn't until a photographer's flash fired 15 minutes later that a prosecutor on the scene noticed that Walter Irvin was still alive. Uh. So then he goes to the hospital. Yeah. And then the next morning, he tells um, Thurgood Marshall and the FBI his version of what happened. Yeah. And he says that the sheriff had shot him and his friend in cold-blooded murder. But um, but he was black, and he was convicted of rape in the eyes of the state. Mm. So, and next to the testimony of the popular sheriff, his version didn't carry very much weight. A coroner's jury, made up mostly of the sheriff's friends, swiftly right. cleared him of any wrongdoing, concluding that he had indeed acted in self-defense. And this judge... Judge Truman Futch. Truman Futch? Yep, it's his name. <laughs> That's a real name, Truman Futch? Truman Futch. Judge Truman Futch, y'all. He was the Groveland trial judge. He declined to impanel a grand jury on the grounds that the coroner's jury had proved to be so thorough there was no need for a grand jury investigation. So FBI agents were nonetheless... Fuck Truman Futch. ...went back to the crime scene and dug <laughs> into the soil... <laughs> beneath Walter Irvin's spilled blood. 
The FBI offered to make their forensic evidence, which supported um, Irvin's version of the shooting, available to prosecutors in order to secure indictments against McCall and Yates. But Judge Futch said, nah. Fuck Futch. So the incriminating evidence remained sealed in the FBI files hidden from Thurgood Marshall and his NAACP attorneys. Mm. Sheriff McCall, with the help of powerful friends in Florida and supportive public that believed a trial would be a waste of time and money, had escaped yet another civil rights investigation. And I think that's where I'm going to leave it because I think it starts getting into... So there's a, it's like a cliffhanger? Yeah. We've never had well, a cliffhanger. Well, no, because we know that he, he escaped. And, oh, hold on. There is one thing I want to say. Give me one sec. Let me just scroll here. I wanted to tell you that they did, in 2016, um, the city of Groveland and Lake County each apologized to the survivors of the four men for the injustice against them. Really? So All they admitted four were posthumously exonerated on April 18th, 2017. By a resolution of the Florida House of Representatives. That is a long time. The Florida <laughs> Senate quickly passed a similar resolution. Lawmakers called on Gov- Governor Rick Scott to officially pardon the men on January 11th, 2019. So the case was uncovered yeah. later? Like unsealed or whatever? Yeah. The Florida Board of Executive Clemency voted to pardon the Groveland Four, and newly elected Governor Ron DeSantis subsequently did so. So he okay. did one good thing. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. So... So, okay. So that's where we're at. That's so, where we're at. So it was no good and awful, but he survived and but, he did but go to the prison. Guy, the guys got away with it while in the fifties. And he and he went to prison. Yeah. For that rape, but then he got out in like ten years, and then he um, died like a year later of heart disease. After he got out of jail, jeez, yeah. of course. But that, man, he had to have some troubles from that shooting like getting yeah. shot in the neck and stuff like i know he had to have some some would, health ability problems, issues probably. i would guess yeah. but absolutely yikes well that's tragic and terrible and not yeah, exciting and fun <laughs> but i can't you know i don't get i mean i guess that's not your typical like serial killer that right people are thrilled about um but i don't as far as i'm concerned i don't get the difference like i don't get I don't get the true crime thing. I know this is a true crime podcast, kind of, but I don't get it. Uh, so well, I just still make you sit through it, even yeah. though you don't get it. Well, yeah, and I'll keep sitting through it, and you got to sit through my stupid sports teams and where they've relocated to. Yeah, well, okay. Uh, <laughs> so, okay, and there's another thing, Taylor, I'll let you know about what we do on this podcast. is, But I think I've found the way to finally correct it. This might be the way to correct it. Amy hates birthdays, you see. Uh, and so, <laughs> no, I don't. I hate birthdays. She doesn't hate birthdays, but I cover when famous people are born. When we get to their birthdays, sometimes a notable person, I want to cover that. I'm like, hey, this is the day so and so was. They were born in 1951. She thinks that's dumb, especially because I pick usually stupid. He picks it like people that nobody cares about. Yeah, like sitcoms. like obscure. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, but I think I found a way. I kind of touched on it last episode. I sort of kind of danced around who it was and you had guys had to guess okay and so i dropped a little clues oh. and so this might be the way to do it and i think i've got a way so i've got i've only got two birthdays this time okay but i think they're fun the way i say them so you have to try to guess who this is okay taylor i know you're a little younger so you might have a little ch- a challenge ch- a more of a challenge than us we're old uh we're <laughs> we're mid 40s so yeah uh it might be a little different but uh so on on this day november 9th November 9th was a Friday of 1951. Victoria and Matt Ferrigno, who was a police lieutenant, welcomed a son. Ah, dang it. I wasn't going to say his already. last name. Yep. They welcomed a son into the world in Brooklyn, New York. Lou Ferrigno. I meant to not say that last name. I screwed up the whole quiz. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say soon. And Matt, I was going to say, and Matt, what's his name and Matt? Uh, whatever the first name. Soon after he was born, it was believed he suffered a series of ear infections and he down. lost 75 to 80% of his hearing, yep. though his condition was not diagnosed until he was three years old. Taylor, do you know who Lou Ferrigno is? Lou Ferrigno, you know who mm-hmm. that is? Okay. 
So mm-hmm. his, his hearing loss caused him to be bullied by peers during his childhood. They used to call me Deaf Louie, Deaf Mute, because of my hearing and because of the way I sounded. Oh, poor guy. So Lou Frigno, did you know, he's this little kid that was picked on, so he started weight training at age 13 because uh, he wanted to- a bodybuilder Hercules... A bodybuilder and Hercules star, Steve Reeves, mm-hmm. was his role model, but he couldn't afford to buy weight, so he made his own using a broomstick and pails filled with cement. Oh, isn't that And that's how ingenious. he got big and buff. He was Hulk and Spider-Man were also his big heroes, which is ironic because he played the Incredible Hulk later. Um, and the biggest whole thing was, part of this thing I'm trying to wedge into these stories of birthdays is notable alumni of like what high school they went to because on wikipedia you can look at people's high school and then look at who else went to the school and this is a big one he went to brooklyn technical high school mm-hmm. uh where he learned metalworking. the colors are navy blue and white home of the engineers notable alumni include kim coles and anthony weiner that uh that congressman who got his i know who out. that is who, kim coles she was from Living Single, but also, most importantly, Richard LaMotta, the founder of the Chip Witch, went to the same school as Lou Ferrigno. Jesus. The Chip Witch founder. Have All you, right. Do you know what a Chip Witch is? What a Taylor? legacy. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's a legacy. Anyway, that's all I'll say about Lou Ferrigno. Now you got to come up with a song that says Amy Hates Alumni. Amy, Amy <laughs> Hates Notable Alumni. Yeah, I'll figure that Pretty out. Pretty much. Uh, but I'm I'm moving the notable alumni to this other podcast I'm working on with my buddy Steve. So okay, that'll be a, then I'll eventually phase out of this. Okay, that brings us to Taylor's thing on November 10th, 1951. Taylor, you have something to tell us about, right? Let's turn it over to Taylor Fraser. I do. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I- <laughs> <laughs> so there was a movie released in 1951 called Flight to Mars. That I have to tell you got a 22% on Rotten Tomatoes. So by modern <laughs> nice. standards, and actually also by 1951 standards, it was not a great film. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't mean it wasn't very entertaining for me to watch. Essentially, right. the plot is that a newspaper reporter and some scientists decide they're going to go to Mars, and it's just like immediately a hot mess. They're like on <laughs> their way, and then they hit this like giant asteroid thunder cloud and they're having this like weirdly casual conversation about like well i don't know what we'll do i guess we'll either crash <laughs> land on mars and never go home or we'll go back to earth and either way it will be fine <laughs> so they decide that they're going to go to mars uh and then when they do they get off of their space shuttle and they realize that the people people martians who live on mars look exactly like them they're also humans and they speak english what are the chances Uh, so i mean that's super convenient right Uh and so they have like a whole underworld ground uh like world that the martians live in but they're running out of like their most important natural resource so like little do the earthlings know they're like yeah we're gonna help you fix your space shuttle but they're actually planning to like overthrow it and like go back to earth and like take over mm-hmm. but then of course there's like two martians that are good guys that are like okay we'll help you like do this legit so uh anyway it turns out fine they find their way home it's all good <laughs> uh but the <laughs> but the movie was like it was not well received apparently in 1951 people uh-huh. had like a real obsession with space travel oh yeah which is interesting because we didn't actually go to the moon Till what yeah. 1969, I believe. Yeah. yeah. So, but we were, we were still obsessed. That didn't stop us, apparently. And so they made this film in only five days, and they used oh somebody God, else's old set. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it was really, really low budget, which might explain why it was like not great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they were supposed to make a sequel called Voyage to Venus, but then that never happened because people hated this movie. <laughs> um, and the funniest review that I found was this guy, Glenn Erickson. He said that the film was derivative, and he <laughs> was quoted as saying, of all the early space movies, none is so disappointing as Flight to Mars. <laughs> so, like, you know, not a glowing recommendation, a but... Yeah. 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 
Oh yeah. my god. That's <laughs> so hysterical. But that's a, yeah, that's a pretty bad burn I know. all <laughs> of the space movies. <laughs> this film is anyway, derivative. Very entertaining, though. I love that. Yeah, because there, mm-hmm. there were some bad, bad space movies. We've covered a couple of them. It's like the it's MST, oh. MST3K type movies. Where yeah, they... that they would watch on MST3K. Oh, yeah. yeah, right, for sure. Yeah, and this one I watched the 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 trailer to it on YouTube was hilarious. Just seeing this, like, oh my mm-hmm. gosh, I can't wait to talk about this. So I was glad you got to. I was glad you watched it. That's cool. You took the. Time it was to watch hilarious. It. Yeah, they wore these spacesuits, the like Martians that were like pastel colors, which I found very hu- humorous, yeah. and they looked a lot like Oompa Loompas. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and in one scene, they're like. Oh no, the Earthlings don't have cute outfits like we do, so we'll make you some. And they're wearing these like insane outfits with like wings that come off their shoulders. And the thing oh that gosh. the reason why they want to make these outfits for them is that they are so comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, well, good then. <laughs> yeah. And you can watch this on YouTube. It's ridiculous. And it's, yes, you can. Yeah, there's some really ridiculous movies out there that. Um, yes. A lot of times I'll play commercials from uh, space. TV shows from the 50s because those I mean those are ridiculous and they're always like in the middle of the thing they go Ralston cereal and rice checks are also things (laughs) right in the middle and then right back to the power man and they you know they get the goggles you can get the goggles in the cereal box and all that so um (laughs) just I'm just fascinated with the 50s culture culture and how people spoke and like it's just so crazy uh well thanks Taylor that was good Thank yes, you. thank you. Glad to help. Thanks for watching that. That was <laughs> good. Group yeah. effort, you know. That was good. So there wasn't. I felt bad. I didn't. I didn't have a lot of options for Taylor because, like I said, I didn't have a lot this time. So yeah, I gave her like two options, and I'll cover the other one. So okay, I'm gonna try this birthday quiz one more time. Cue the music. Amy, Amy hates birthdays. Amy hates birthdays. This time I'm going to do this quiz right. I'm not going to screw up and say the name. Okay. All right. On November 15th, 1951, Howard Dwight Smith. Oops, I said it again. No, no, I didn't. Mm-hmm. I did it right. He, he, <laughs> Howard Dwight Smith was an architect who designed. He, he's known for de- designing Ohio Stadium, which is known mm-hmm. as the Horseshoe. That's where the Ohio State Buckeyes play. So I know mm-hmm. you guys, again, probably don't know what that is, but that's big for Ohio State fans. Um his granddaughter was born on this day. You see, his daughter Priscilla Ruth Smith was a violinist, and she had become involved with a bass player and television station manager at WBNS TV in Columbus, Ohio, named Eugene Constantino D. Is his last initial. Okay. Uh, they had three other children named Jeff, Tim, and Tony, but this child would be a girl. They named her Beverly. Beverly attended Upper Arlington High School in Upper Arlington, Ohio, a close suburb due west of Columbus. In 2009, she was awarded the Upper Arlington Alumni Association Distinguished Alumnus Award for achievement in her long career. Other notable alumni include Jack Nicholas, professional golfer. Uh, but Miss Beverly D. worked as an illustrator at Han- Hanna-Barbera Studios. Yes, Beverly D'Angelo. You got it. That's like the only Beverly I think it's I know. It's the only Beverly you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you got too early because I had to tell you that she worked as an illustrator at Hanna-Barbera Studios yeah. and as a singer uh, while before pursuing her interest in acting. Uh, while living for a period in Canada, she was a backup singer for American-born rockabilly singer Rompin' Ronnie Hawkins mm-hmm. and his band The Hawks. But after going out on their own, they became a band called The Band. Yeah, I know the band. You know the band. Beverly, Beverly mm-hmm. D'Angelo was a backup singer. Take for a them. load off, Annie. Take, Take a load, load for free. free. So do you know who Beverly uh, do you know who Beverly D'Angelo is, Taylor? I didn't until this moment. <laughs> you do. You do. I know that song that Amy's singing, though. Yeah, you yeah. know that. Do you know uh remember National Lampoon's Vacation with Chevy Chase? Mm-hmm. She's the mom. She's the wife. Oh, that's, oh, that's okay. Beverly D'Angelo. Googling her. So you've seen her before. You've seen her in other things. I yeah, can't remember. Yeah, eighties movies. Yeah, eighties movies. She's been around. and She's been in other stuff, but I didn't know that she was in a relationship with actor Al Pacino 
from oh nine, yes nine, i did they I, have children together 97 to 20 yeah i did know that I didn't 2003 that. they had twins mm-hmm. and they conceived those twins through ivf okay so the the other thing i want to do is i want to be like a gorilla trivia giver like i want to force trivia on people i don't think that's a good idea yeah and then you're forced <laughs> you're forced to know this now so no, now I you don't. know this I don't know that. and you're not going to forget it next time somebody brings up beverly angelo you're going to say oh she was a backup singer for the band and people will be amazed that you know that so <laughs> there you go uh all right those are the only birthdays i had so we got to cover the other couple things it's all on me because taylor's done and you're done yeah so don't drone on and on forever <laughs> okay this next thing i didn't look into at all november 22nd 1951 mm-hmm. pope Pius, because i don't really know a lot about religion but pope Pius the 12th declared at the november 22nd 1951 opening meeting of the pontifical academy of sciences that the Big Bang Theory does not conflict with the Catholic concept of creation. Oh, there's some progress. In 1951, they said that, which I, I was surprised. I would think they did, wouldn't like the Big Bang. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, and this was the other option I gave um, Taylor, and she was like, no, no thanks, keep that. I researched it. I might have something to chime in. We'll see. Oh, you did? Oh, you did research it. Yeah, yeah, it. I looked oh. at both. I just thought the trip, the Mars vacation was more entertaining. <laughs> do you, yeah. want, you want me to just turn it over to you on this one, or do you want me to oh, just... Oh, no, no. You go, and then I'll just chime in if I have anything to add. Because Okay, because I don't know if I have a lot, but a uh, I got my info from alabamapioneers.com mm-hmm. on November, 19, November 25th, 1951. Two passenger trains collide in the ctc territory at woodstock alabama usa killing 15 passengers and two employees Ooh. and i and on this alabama pioneers.com uh, a lady named shannon holland talked about it she said that a rerouted train led to the collision of two passenger trains near woodstock alabama um it was a you know a steamliner and a louisville nashville train the crescent I don't know if those mean anything, but they collided after the L&N train was rerouted on the Great Southern track because a barge damaged a bridge on the L&N side. The Great Southern train was headed from New Orleans to New York, while the Crescent was headed south. The Crescent was running as a, as the second section of a southbound Southerner, the article said, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. The northbound Southerner pulled into a siding near Woodstock to permit the southbound Southerner to pass. However, for an unknown reason, the northbound train moved out of the siding into the path of the second train, the Crescent. An investigator with the Interstate Commerce Commission thought perhaps the engineer of the northbound train, who was killed, might have mistook a ray of sunlight Mm -hmm. for the signal to proceed. Oh, God. And so more than 60 people were injured in the crash. And there are pictures online of it, and it looks pretty devastating. And so what I linked here next was just a YouTube, that YouTube video that I sent you, Taylor, that is basically yeah. a guy explaining the whole thing. And so I was just going to let that guy explain it, but then I probably technically can't use his thing or whatever. So mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if I was going to do that. But do you have anything that you found on it, Taylor, that's better than that? No, I I watched the video that you're referring to. And yeah, that's kind of, he made it sound like there's like a pull-in spot where like, I think they were aware that there were two trains on the same track, but they were like, eh, no worries. There's like a pullover spot. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, they didn't. And so it's not like a, you know, a situation where you're like driving and somebody bumps into the back of your car. It's like a head-on collision. Head oh my and the, god! Yeah, the yeah, pictures are horrible. Like, yeah. It, wow. yeah, I can't even imagine how scary that must have been for the people on that train. Yeah, yeah. it's so crazy that we we cover so many things. I mean, we've been doing this for a while now, so we did all of the '60s, and in the in the '60s, there was an ungodly amount of bus accidents, and yeah, <laughs> a lot of them were buses falling off of cliffs, like. There was just, it seems like there was just a, like, there was a while there was like every episode, there's like three buses that fell off a cliff. Like they just, (laughs) I mean, and a lot of plane crashes. Well, I guess when planes were first going, a lot of crashes, but I don't know why. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. Was at that time, like, did more people take buses than like owned a private vehicle? Was it just like statistically there were more opportunities for buses to crash or is that, am I making that up? That's what I wonder. A lot of them were in all over the world and stuff too. So like remote areas and things. So I think, I think it might be just that a lot of people probably have buses. So you probably were not everybody had cars, maybe as much or, 
yeah, it's a good good thing. And then, Yikes. And then flight, flight was kind of new, so you can guess there's going to be crashes. But Yeah, um, yeah, I would think that'd take a long time to figure out how to do that correctly yeah, yeah. 100% of the time. So, yeah, that's and that's almost everything. I, I The last thing that happened was on November 27th that I, of note. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of things that happened. 1951, when the first rocket to intercept an airplane in White Sands, New Mexico, occurred. And I couldn't find... I got that info from Take Me Back To, which you can put in any date in history, and it'll give you some events and things that might have happened. Um, it's the only place just, you saw that? It just had that sentence, but I couldn't find any more info on it. So, hmm. uh, And that's really all I had. But we've been around the horn. We've been covering a lot of different things this episode. And, um, Taylor, I feel like I got I have like 100 questions more for you about your podcast. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> oh, gosh. I, so... Yes. So with the PTSD, so you really did again. Okay, let's talk about your podcast one more time. It's called the Forward Podcast. You can get it anywhere, iTunes, you know, everywhere you can get your podcast. You got to listen to it. So, have you gotten any feedback from any of your friends from school that were also there and involved? And has anybody been like upset or like, why are you doing this or anything like that? Or has it all been positive and supportive or? You know, I was expecting that that would happen, mm-hmm. yeah. and I have been very pleasantly surprised that that has not been the case. Oh, good. Um, there are certainly people who are choosing not to listen to it because it's difficult for them to listen to. Right. Yeah. And when those people reach out to me, I encourage them to, you know, not listen to it. It's yeah. not everybody's cup of tea. If it's not going to help you process what happens, then it's mm-hmm. that's not good. I don't want people to listen to it that it's going to re-traumatize them. For yeah. me, it was a way to heal, but if it's not for them, I don't want them to force themselves through it in order to like support me or whatever. So yeah. uh, <laughs> that's really the only feedback that I've gotten that has been negative, but otherwise yeah. it's been overwhelmingly positive that people are saying, wow, someone finally told our story. Yeah. Because it just these tragedies happen, it's on the news, and then it disappears and everybody forgets about it. Yeah. And it is like an awful, intense story, and it, it feels weird to like go about your life with this insane backstory that nobody knows about that's kind of a secret. Yeah. And so I think yeah. a lot of people... One, we're, we're glad to have the story told, period. Mm-hmm. And two, we're glad to realize that other people were also suffering. Because yeah. after it happened, a lot of people in my community were very hush-hush about it. And yeah. it was kind of unspoken, that a rule that we shouldn't talk about it. Yeah. And so I think a lot of people, 15 years later, with the release of the podcast, went, oh, other people were like really, really, really in bad shape and really suffering and their mental health was really bad and they didn't we didn't know that so yeah. you you suffered silently because you had no idea that anybody else was in bad psychological trouble and yeah. uh, <laughs> so that has been a profound thing as well to hear people say like thank you for you know making it be okay to not be okay mm-hmm. yes. and saying that out loud and admitting that like you know a lot of us were not okay for a long time and we still have moments of not being okay yeah, yeah. and that's okay yeah and that I think that's part of a thing, too, that for me, I think I relate because Blue River sounds like it's a real small town. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how, how small it is, but um, I'm from a real small town. And I think there's something about small towns, too, that uh, maybe it's just where I'm from, but like mental health isn't a thing. Like you don't see a therapist exactly. in, a, in a small town. There's no therapy. There's not. Oh, yeah. You would have been like a crazy person if you yeah. were like yeah. saying you wanted to go see a therapist, which yeah. I have now, now that I'm an adult and realize that that was a good thing to do. But at the time, yeah. that would have been very taboo. Yeah. I've been mm-hmm. like, who? Are, what's wrong with you? Why would you need that? Why exactly. are you crazy? Yeah. It, it's like L.A. and New York. It's fine. But if you go to a therapist, what are you, a psychopath? And it's like a normal mm-hmm. it's but it's a normal thing. And I think it's crazy that it's 2021 and we're still have people that feel like that like it's yeah. not okay and it's a, yeah. it's a stigmatism and you, everybody just doesn't talk about it and uh so kudos to you for making that like hey this is a traumatic thing well i was explaining i was talking about your podcast to a friend of mine the other day and they were like oh it was, was it columbine and i was like no it was about an hour away from columbine oh when did it happen i think it was it was a 2000 uh six six okay i was thinking nine but they were like 
why didn't I hear about that one? And I was like, well, because they're commonplace. There's one every day. Yeah. yeah. I, and and you, they may have, and they'd forgotten about you, it. Yeah. It's like not realistic to remember all of them because there right. have been so many. Yes. Right. In 2006, we probably did hear about it. Uh, but now mm-hmm. we hear about one every day. Like yeah. I'll next time I see somebody like, oh, did you hear about the shooting? Which one since I saw you are you talking about? Because now there's exactly. so many. It's just awful, and we need to do something about it. What? I don't know, but... I'm glad yeah. you're doing what you're doing. It's very cathartic, I think, I hope, to for people. And I hope it's cathartic for you. I, I imagine, mm-hmm. I guess my other question was, and this might be too personal, but did you have moments during making of this that were difficult that you had to, like, stop and just drop oh, it drop yeah. it for a day or two? <laughs> for yeah. sure. It was yeah. super intense. But yeah. it was weird because it was simultaneously, like, it, um, it helped me see it from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. So it helped me go, like, okay, this is a story. It's yeah. not just your story. It's right. a much larger story that anyone can connect to, anyone who's ever been through something hard. Yeah. I'm not the only one, which was, that was helpful for me. But yes, there were absolutely moments where I was like, oh, shit, what am I doing here? Yeah. There was one point where the guy I cast, in the guy who played the shooter, yeah. was in my home and it and it was just a bizarre thing. So it was like during the pandemic, right? So we rehearsed out in the backyard yeah. and... I had told him, you know, it's important to me that people feel empathy for this character because I don't I don't believe that anyone's just 100% evil. I right. think that there are people who are, you know, devastatingly sad for whatever yeah. reason and really suffering and do horrible, horrible things. Um, but, like, for this man, he was probably incredibly lonely and really lost. And, yeah. you know, he knew that he was going to kill himself, that that yeah. was his last day, and what would that feel like? And... So the actor told me, you know, I want to do this justice not only for the victims of what happened, but also for the family of the perpetrator. And I never even thought about the fact that the guy had a family. Mm-hmm. So it was already like, this is weird. This feels weird. Yeah. And yeah. then we go in, and he goes into the little recording studio, and I'm in another room, and we're talking back and forth on our microphones. And I'm having to direct this man mm-hmm. to say the words that I wrote on behalf of the shooter that, like, in yeah. some ways messed up many, many, many years of my life. And trying to coach him to 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 go there. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm trying to tell him like, I need you to go there to the worst moment of your life. I need you. I need you to mm-hmm. feel, really feel in your body what it feels like to know that I'm gonna die and my life has been horrible all along and it never got better. And the the sounds that came out of this actor just was so disturbing and he just like screamed and said something about like, you should have just left me alone. And it was like. The whole house felt like it was vibrating, and my oh. heart was beating so fast. <laughs> and then we we got done with the scene, and then we went out on the front porch. And I've been very careful to stay like six feet between mm-hmm. people during COVID. Yeah. And this man just like grabs me and like gives me a big hug, and it's just I think he could tell that I was like almost like shaking. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he needed me to realize like I'm just a person. Yeah. We're just mm-hmm. acting. We're yeah. playing yeah. pretend. Yeah. But for me, it felt so real yeah. because this was a real person oh, yeah. in my life and I don't know but it was cool because for the first time in my life I was able to to at least begin to access the idea of forgiveness of like yeah. really I'm I'm hurting myself by letting this person's actions control me for the rest of my life mm-hmm. when yeah. really he was probably just a really broken person who made a series of really bad choices yeah yeah, yeah. oh it's devastating but it's so good and it's so heart-wrenching and um, yeah, just to add a levity to it, I was listening to that moment <laughs> in the parking mm-hmm. lot of, of Ace Hardware uh, right before I was going in to get something from Ace Hardware, and I had my windows down, and I was just, I was so gripped, I couldn't, like, I didn't even, I wasn't aware of where I was, and there's people <laughs> out there, and that yeah. guy starts yelling, and of course, everybody's looking at me, uh, sitting in my car, like, uh, I was, no, I'm, I'm not, no, it's not, everything's okay, it's, I'm not on the phone, it's a podcast, oh, yeah, no, really? it's like, whatever, like, uh, it sounds like somebody's yelling at me through my phone, like screaming yes, at me. You know? I've so, had <laughs> quite a few people reach out to me that they've been in parking lots and gas stations in yeah. Colorado in other states where they heard the podcast on somebody else's car radio. Oh, and they cool. stopped to be like, what, is, what in the world? Because it's like the intro credits of like, this is the forward podcast. And people yeah. are like texting me from Missouri and they're like, you can't, you would not believe what I just heard in this parking lot. It's, oh my it's so weird <laughs> to know that it, it's streaming in over 30 countries. Like it's just bizarre yeah. to yeah. think that this thing that I made up in my brain yeah. has now been viewed by tens of thousands of people. 
That's awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. Wild. That is so cool. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, it's so yeah. amazing. Yeah, congratulations. It, it's worth it. And what a great idea. And, I mean, it's like I said, I'm inspired to make something like that. Maybe mine would be a comedy, but this is a thing you can do. You yeah. You can make an audio drama as a podcast. Absolutely. It's so cool. What a great idea. Um, and so, yeah, great job, Taylor. Thanks for being here with us on American yes, Timeline. Thank you so much. I, I think Thanks. Thanks for having yeah, me. I'm so glad we got you when we did before you're uh, going to charge me $75,000 to see it. To have <laughs> so, uh, no, never for the two of you. Yeah. So, and then we'll, you know what? I think we'll, if you, we'd like you to probably speak at the podcast festival this year, if you're interested. Um, oh, that'd have, be so have, fun. Have, have I would like love session. that. Yeah. It'd be so cool. So anyway, All thank right. you for listening. Out of here, Thanks Barry. for being here, Taylor. And we're, we're out of here. We're done. We're going to let Dale through. American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com.